When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wakey, wakey. It is me, your managing editor for Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, here with my special WrestleMania 35 weekend recap part one. Yes, a very special Winkly here as I am sitting in my hotel in downtown Manhattan. I guess it's downtown. I don't really know how we're, I don't know how New York works. I'm in, I'm in Manhattan right now, and uh, I'm ready here on my final day. I guess tomorrow afternoon, I leave it I leave at 11 o'clock or something like that tomorrow. But this is my last full day here in New York, and I'm going to start the process of recapping to you all what I have just been up to for the past five, six days now. Uh, it's been a very exciting time here, New York, New Jersey, driving around, uh, and I have met and seen so many amazing people, fans, wrestlers. It's just been, I mean, it really has been an experience of a lifetime. This has been probably my favorite WrestleMania week ever. So I, I'm, I've got written out here all the stuff I'm going to talk to you guys about today. The way this is going to work, uh, I, I ha- everybody's gone. Everybody's left town. I'm like the only person left here press-wise. Uh, so I'm going to SmackDown tonight, maybe by myself. Um, and I, I couldn't find Michael Weissman. He's busy. He's supposed to be here today. He's busy. He couldn't do the show today. Justin's traveling. Everybody's traveling today. Nobody's here. So, so I'm going to just be giving you guys my recap my thoughts here by myself over the next two days to start the show but we're also going to include some interviews that i got uh the past couple days as well so today we're going to call this part one tomorrow you're going to hear me talk about wrestlemania 35 bullet club block party raw smackdown but there's a whole bunch of other stuff here i did the days before that that i'm going to treat you to uh some stories about here today now before i get into all of the stuff that i'm going to chat about all the memories everything like that of course i gotta remind you guys wrestling inc we got a brand new t-shirt out there it's over prowrestlingtees.com slash wrestling inc it's our jacked journalist t-shirt and uh, i've been giving them out this weekend to a couple uh famous wrestlers uh i got one on hornswoggle of course my favorite person i got it on this whole weekend is d destro the manager this the, the mastermind behind pco uh and i got to give one to destro talk to him uh, what a cool, interesting guy. And he told me he liked the shirt so much that he is going to take that shirt. He's going to put it on the wall of PCO's gym where he trains and he films all his Monday night videos. So that is going to be something that's going to be a part of like wrestling history now, our Jack Journalist t-shirt. And if you want one, if you want to go get one, go get it. You can wear it. I'm wearing it. Again, I've been giving them out. People really like them. I'm sure you're going to see them popping up more and more. Go grab one. Be cool like Destro, cool like PCO. Uh, And, of course, after the stories here in a little bit, like I promised, we're going to get to a couple interviews. Uh, I was a part of the media scrum uh, before Impact's United We Stand on Thursday night. So today I'm going to play three of the interviews from that scrum. So you're going to hear the arena. You're going to hear some uh, some other announcers. But it's very clear audio I got of all the talents that were up at the stage since they let me plant this microphone basically right there in front of them. So today here later on in the show, you're going to get to hear from Tessa Blanchard, Don Callis and Dave Christ. I think you guys are going to like that a lot. And with that, let's get to some let's get to some stories. You know, I say news you can use, news that'll leave a bruise. These are stories you can use, stories that'll leave a bruise. Uh, so I started off. I got into town Thursday afternoon. Um, really, I didn't get back to my hotel till about three o'clock. 
and Bloodsport, GCW's Bloodsport started at four. So I rolled right over to Bloodsport. Um, as I'm on my way, uh, I was texting my friend uh, and I said, hey, you know, I'll be there shortly. And uh, he said to come find him. I get there. I find out where he is at Bloodsport. The show had just started. I believe I was there the second match in a Bloodsport. It was part of uh, The Collective, which was down in Jersey, a group of about 11 shows. We did coverage for uh, about, I think, half of these shows over on Wrestling Inc., courtesy of our good friend Joey G. Good job, Joey, recapping all the shows. I've been following your work. Um, but Bloodsport, so the concept of Bloodsport, GCW's Bloodsport, is there's no ropes, right? It's just a ring with four posts, and the only way you can win your bout is by tap out or knockout, TKO or submission. There was about seven matches on the card. The whole thing only lasted like a hard two hours. So it was a lot of fast-paced, hard-hitting action. Um, very cool space. The collective environment in Jersey, it was this building, a White Eagle Hall, that you could fit maybe, I mean, it felt like just maybe 500 fans, maybe a little bit more. Very packed group of, like, diehard wrestling fans. There's kind of a balcony that uh, wraps around the top that, you know, if you were in the front row, it was a great view. If you were just standing behind those people, which is where I was uh, both times I went, a little obstructed, but, I mean, still a great view, and just the intensity, the energy in that room of those hardcore fans was great. So I get to Bloodsport. I see my buddy. I go up to where my buddy is in the balcony, and lo and behold, who do I spend Bloodsport with watching this show? Uh, none other than, I guess, no longer WWE superstar after last night, Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose is there. William Regal is there. And uh, a bunch of WWE executives were there, and I was wound up. I found, I was uh, kind of an invited guest, so I found myself in the little VIP area they did over there. Um, shook Dean's hand. I said, "Oh, uh, nice to meet you, Dean." We exchanged a, a couple words about how we had just passed like ships in the night in the past, and I asked him. Uh, I asked him what he was doing there. I said, "Dean." Why are you at Bloodsport today? Is it you got friends here? You you interested in the concept? And he told me he came because William Regal was coming. I guess scouting talent, and he just he thought it'd be a fun idea. And he's a big fan of Suzuki. He said Minoru Suzuki. He's like I love Suzuki. So uh, Minoru Suzuki, Josh Barnett. That was the main event of Bloodsport. Uh, the whole card was really good. I thought this was a great showing uh, for guys like Jonathan Gresham. I thought Gresham really stood out on that on that card. Um, my favorite bout outside of the main event, which I'll get to in just a second, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. versus Killer Cross. Holy crap. Go back and find that if you can. Davey, Davey just kicks the crap out of Killer Cross there. I mean, these guys, they went at it. Two big bulls throwing muscle around. Uh, it was very impressive to watch. And, uh, you know, Davey hit Cross about as hard as you could in the side of the head. And I thought he popped his eardrum because it looked like it was, like, bleeding out of his ear and looking back on it kind of looking at the photos i think he just smacked the side of his neck real hard and just busted a lot of capillaries so just brutal just gruesome um but yeah the main event josh barnett versus minoru suzuki went to a 20 minute draw they were given five more minutes went to another draw um if you like wrestling if you like wrestling if you're listening to the show and you, and you like wrestling go find this match i mean i've been to a lot of matches on indie shows Mania takeover. There's a certain specialness you feel with with some matches, and this match felt very special. A lot of respect between Barnett and Suzuki. Uh, incredible strikers, incredible grapplers. I mean, this felt like what wrestling is, and it was so good. And at the end of the at the end of the bout, I looked over and there's Regal, and he is like politely applauding the match and like nodding approvingly and it was the first time i'd really seen him the whole show uh do that so just something in the air uh with that bout and that show and man thursday at four o'clock that's how i started wrestlemania 35 weekend was doing that insanity so i'm there i watched that again that's all some great stuff uh i i had to go to impacts united we stand we're going to hear some audio from that uh, press scrum here in a little bit. It didn't start till about 11 o'clock. I didn't have time to get to MLW because of the way uh, just all the time was. There was so much stuff. But I want to thank Chris Featherstone and Raj for covering the uh, the MLW shows. But I had like a weird hour here still at the collective. And in that hour, I stuck around to talk to some people and just see what was going on. Interspecies wrestling? I've, uh, I've never seen. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I caught like an hour of the interspecies wrestling show after Bloodsport, and I got to find more of these guys when I get back. This was some of the wackiest stuff I'd ever seen. They did like a, 
What they do like a like a ten person food fight. Like I'm looking over and I see him putting tarps down on the ring and tarps down on the floor. And then all of a sudden, a dude dressed as a chef and another dude dressed as a, a shrimp. They come out and they're fighting with the the dad bod. What was it? The dad bod army, something like that. Um, just awesome, just awesome. I think this was also where I saw Sexy Eddie for the first time, and then uh, it was just it was lots of fun. And I just I liked it. That crowd uh, really seemed into it, too, as well. So I got to give a shout out to Interspecies Wrestling. Then uh, then I, of course, I caught a car, took off to Impact United. We stand down in Rahway at the Rahway Rec Center, a little bit further south than I expected. But, you know, get there. And wow, this thing was packed. Uh, They had I thought they had about 2000 fans there. Now, one of my friends, uh, Rafael, who is a producer for Impact and MLW, both. Uh, Raphael was also at the Cicero show I was at in Chicago where MLW drew a little over 2,000 fans uh, just a couple weeks ago. I asked him if this was the same because I said it felt like the same. And he said they only did – or not only, but he, it was still packed. It was like sold out, looked nearly sold out. But about 1,500 fans, I think, uh, there for the United We Stand show. But big crowd, rafters were – or all the bleachers were packed. Um, people were still strolling on throughout the show. The media scrums were a lot of fun. I thought the talent was very candid. Uh, it was cool hearing from Don Callis, uh, who's going to be here later on the show, just about where Impact is now, what it's like to have RVD under contract. Uh, I had to leave about halfway through the show because I had to be up early the next day uh, to go be a part of Festival of Honor, which I'll get to here in just a second. But you know, from what I did see, uh, I was fortunate enough to get to watch the Ultimate X match. Um, Ace Austin, if you haven't caught this highlight – walk to the top of the scaffolding for um, the Ultimate X match. Like, you're, I don't know, 20 feet in the air at the top of that scaffolding and did a dive, did a front roll dive to the outside, and it just looked terrifying and dangerous, and it was it's a showstopper. I mean, of all, this, of all the things I saw this weekend, for me that was still a moment that kind of, like, took my breath away. Like, I can't believe I'm actually watching somebody do this for my entertainment right now. Uh, and John Morrison would go on to win that match, the current Impact champion, maybe he'll be Impact and X Division champion. That's a uh, that's seemingly a direction they may go. Uh, so I'm I'm sorry to Impact could stick around for the last half of it solely because of time. The show was looking to go past two o'clock in the morning, uh, and I had to get back for the next day. But great action. Uh, I will go back and finish it here, and I've heard a lot of uh, good things about the the rest of the way that show went. Uh, so I go back home, I fall asleep, and it's time for Friday. Uh, I uh, I helped put. Uh, the World Arm Wrestling League and Ring of Honor in touch together um, a couple months ago because I saw Matt Taven was doing his Matt Taven's Arm Wrestling Kingdom event as part of Festival of Honor. I didn't know if they had a plan for it or not, uh, but I like Matt Taven a lot. He's always been really nice to me, so I thought, you know, if I could help Taven make his event all the more legitimate uh, by having, like, the NFL of arm wrestling at his side providing tables, referees, giving insight, making nobody sure get, making sure nobody gets injured, uh, I would do that. Well, fortunately, everything worked out. Um, if you were watching the G1 Supercard, they had World Arm Wrestling League heavyweight champion Michael Todd sitting front row. They even ran a, a WAL uh, commercial spot at one point. So not only did this not only did this introduction I made between WAL and ROH uh, work out well, it worked out like really well for both sides um and because i uh you know helped put this together i used to be the road mc for wal i got the invite to come co-host uh matt taven's arm wrestle kingdom uh with matt taven and this was again like a, a another giant highlight uh for me this week and i got there a little before noon um I, you know lots of energy there it, you know they were in the hulu theater which is attached to madison square garden for festival of honor I'd say 500 fans attended Festival of Honor, which is like a good, I thought it was a good draw, but it's like a bigger room and it looked a little spread out. Uh, I don't know if maybe you could have reconfigured a little bit to condense the fans that, that were in there. But regardless, there were a couple hundred fans there uh, for this. Um, before um, the arm wrestling, I got to see Dalton Castle's, uh, whatever his stage interview stuff was called. Uh, the boys lost a bet to... The bouncer Brian Milnes and uh, Silas, or no, and to uh, the Beer City Bruiser, and because of that, the Bruiser and the bouncer had to dress up like the boys, and it was just, I don't know. Go find the photos and video. Two very big men wearing little men's clothes and fanning Dalton Castle. It was ridiculous. Uh, also got to see Mega Ran live 
at the Hulu Theater doing his We Go Into the Garden song, um, which everybody really seemed to love at the G1 Supercard. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, so he opened for us, and then we took the stage for uh, Arm Wrestle Kingdom. And, you know, it was uh, me and Taven hosting eight-man tournament. In the tournament, you had PCO, Jeff Cobb, Rhett Titus, TK O'Ryan, uh, Silas Young, the bruiser, the bouncer, and uh, there was one other pro. Oh, and uh, PJ Black was the eighth man in that eight-man tournament. Um, it came down to PCO versus Jeff Cobb, ultimately with the help of D. Destro, who I believe made his ROH debut during this. I don't think Destro had ever done anything with ROH. Ran onto the stage, helped PCO win. Uh, PCO, your first ever inaugural Matt Taven arm wrestling, uh, arm wrestle kingdom champion. I thought it was great. We had a lot of fun. This thing went about an hour. You know, getting to do crowd work, mic work with Taven up there. We just had a ton of fun. The whole thing is available over on uh, World Arm Wrestling League's Facebook page if you want to check it out. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting idea, mixing pro wrestling and arm wrestling. I don't know how well the arm wrestling community took to a bunch of pro wrestlers doing this. I don't know how pro wrestlers felt about arm wrestling. But I will say this. The wrestlers themselves, all of us involved, Absolutely had a blast and loved it. And I'm told of everybody that competed in Arm Wrestle Kingdom. Jeff Cobb walked away like with the bug. Jeff Cobb was like, I would like to do this. I would like to be an arm wrestler. I really enjoyed this and meeting you all. And uh, I don't know if you guys all know this or not. Probably not. Destro, PCO's uh, handler, the man who brought him back to life, is like an arm wrestling legend in Canada. He's like a trainer. He's like a, you know one of the best arm wrestlers of all time. He's a skinny little dude, but, man, he took his jacket off, and there is just like a fist lump on that man's bicep. I mean, Destro is jacked. I'm not kidding you. And uh, so, anyway, we all had a great time with that. I want to thank uh, ROH and WAL and Matt Taven uh, for uh, for allowing me to participate in that. And Matt said that we're going to get to do it, uh, do it again next year. So, I guess we'll be back for more Arm Wrestle Kingdom next year, slinging wrists, that kind of deal, hooking up top roles everything in between i mean honestly i i you know i tell people i played the gardens hulu theater and uh you know another notch notch on the belt i guess um so after festival of honor uh took off to cover nxt takeover new york um the seats that they gave us uh to, for the media to watch this were were pretty high up and uh so we we sat up high um it was not the best view for us uh that we don't i think we all kind of said it was not the seeds we were expecting but you know you can't beggars can't be choosers the show itself was incredible uh i mean how do you ever not like a takeover event um i thought that it was a fitting end for ricochet and black's time in nxt with the war raiders match uh velveteen dream and matt riddle you know being in that arena feeling the crowd kind of flip uh, making Dream the good guy and making Matt Riddle the bad guy was just really interesting. I, I wasn't really expecting that from the audience, but the crowd there definitively behind Dream, I thought. Uh, Walter beat Dunn. I wasn't shocked by that at all. If you're going to get Walter, you're going to use Walter. Uh, you put the title on him. That guy is the UK champion. And uh, him and Pete Dunn, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of them. And Pete Dunn is like 24 years old. This kid's got seven careers ahead of him uh so i'm looking forward to both these guys it was a good bout uh and then of course johnny gargano won uh had an embrace with tomaso champa afterwards and uh in the crowd over where Ch or gargano was celebrating before he met up with champa at the top of the entrance ramp i got to give a shout out uh to gregory iron who was part who was still there sitting with uh johnny's family and uh i know that greg and Johnny are good friends from a long time back, and it was just cool getting to see uh, Gregory Iron there getting a little screen time and seeing him and Johnny share that moment. Uh, I got to do commentary with Greg for a while at, at Black Label Pro, and uh, we'd, we'd done a bunch of indies before that. And just a great dude. If you haven't seen uh, the handicap hero, Gregory Iron, check him out. I would I would love to see him get pulled in. I mean, who doesn't want to see uh, Johnny Gargano's friend with cerebral palsy uh, get beat up by a heel to get some heat? And Greg can go. And if somebody wants to try to beat him up, he can uh, he could probably take him down too. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, after the uh, the takeover event was done, uh, oh oh yeah, so fatal four with the women match also also good. I wonder what happens with Bianca Belair from now, but conversation for another day. Uh, but after the show, they send a media representative uh, to grab us from our seats. They take us down uh, the elevator, and then we are backstage at WWE, or we are walking around. You see the gorilla position signs. You see the catering signs. 
You see a couple of the wrestlers walking by. They lead you into the media room where the table is set up. Uh, Jeremy Borash uh, comes into the room with Triple H. Borash sets up this camera. Triple H sits at the, the front of the room. Uh, me and Raj were there together. We managed to get seats in the front row uh, because we got there a little bit early. So we had the best seats in the house for, for videos and uh, photos and such. They let me put my nice microphone that you're hearing me talking to right now right up against uh, on the table, which was great of them. Uh, and since the audio was so good, it was Triple H's post show. We actually dropped all the audio from Triple H's uh, NXT TakeOver conference call uh, already on a Winkly a couple days ago. So if you – or I think it was Saturday. So if you want to go listen to the full audio from his TakeOver presser, it's available. You can go listen to it. Um, I asked him – what did I ask Hunter about? Um, I asked him about the dream and uh, uh, Alistair Black and how the crowd flipped on him and if that would change either of their trajectory. And he uh, – he was like, well, I couldn't really tell. You know, it seemed like 50-50, and I felt bad because I was like, well, I was in the crowd on her. I, was, I heard it. They were behind Dream and kind of pressed him a little bit on it. And, uh, you know, he gave a nice answer about how the fans, you know, they pick who they like, and I'm, I'm interested to see if they stay with him or if they try to force their hand and get Dream back as a heel and have him do something real dastardly here uh, coming up the next set of taping. So we'll see. Uh, but it was cool. It's always fun to be in those rooms with Hunter, all the other press. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can go listen to full audio. It's out there right now. Uh, enjoy it. And so then we took off, um, and I went right back to my hotel to fall asleep because I had to be at the Gotham Comedy Club. Uh, actually, I didn't go right home. That's wrong. Raj, Raj wanted to, to have a cocktail with me, and he's my boss, so I had to have the cocktail. But, no, Raj and I, we had a great time. Uh, we saw, actually, a couple people at, at – there's a bar called McMahon's near, uh, the, near the, the Barclays where the show was, so – uh, to great seeing Chris and 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 Mike and uh, Daniel Yanovsky, who uh, who work here at the site. But afterwards, yeah, me and Raj and I think Ryan Satin was with us. Uh, a couple of us, we all took off and had some cocktails and nice night out. Then I went home and went to bed. Wake up, shower, put on nice clothes again, take off to go be the MC for Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler's slobberknocker slobberknocker sessions at the Gotham Comedy Club. Uh, this was these this is cool. I have done this before i've emceed for jr and lawler uh when they were in chicago and they were at zany's and the last time i did it i went out and i was supposed to do like you know eight minute warm-up act comedy stuff and then just do the MC stuff for jim and jerry and I, you know i did comedy like professionally for a long time i was part of like all the major ensembles in chicago's uh, improv scene and they just fell off and fell into wrestling but it's been a while since i'd like done that and improv is a little different than stand-up though i have done stand-up so long story short i wasn't particularly happy with the set that i had when i opened for them at zany's in chicago there's also a weird room where the lights are like right in your eyes you can't really see the crowd uh, but this time at gotham i really tried to work on my set a little bit more i wanted to talk about my time when i was a manager as ronaldo piven so i got to tell some stories about rikishi sitting on my face i got to tell the story that everyone loves about sean waltman splitting his taint um, there was a great moment when I was setting that story up about Sean um, where I talked about the venue we had done that, the Jack Hammers Baseball Stadium. We had done midget wrestling there before, and that always got over really well because people love midget wrestling. And you hear a couple people go, because, you know, you're not supposed to call it midget wrestling. And I explained how Hornswoggle and Puppet and a couple other major midget wrestlers had told me, no, it's midget wrestling. Don't call it little people wrestling. Nobody goes to little people wrestling. They go to midget wrestling. And I'm explaining this to the crowd, and there was this guy I didn't even notice in the front row. And he goes, yeah! And I look down, and it's this little – it's this midget, and he's in a, in a wheelchair, and his name is also Dylan, which is, by the way, the name of Hornswoggle. And he's he's like, yeah, we're midgets. And I sat there, and I was like, thank you. I had five of them. I gave him the microphone real fast. And I was like, you know uh, – I, I said something like, you know, tell the people out there, you know, your thoughts on it. And he said, you know, I love this. I, 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 he, I guess he has commentary. He's 25 in his commentary for a promotion in the Midwest. This is his life, and he's proud to call himself a midget wrestler. Huge pop. Huge pop. Place went nuts. This guy looked like a rock star. And uh, Dylan, if you're listening, thank you. That was a highlight of my weekend. Uh, very serendipitous moment we had together there. And I actually got to tell the real Dylan, or the not the real Dylan, but the other Dylan, Hornswoggle, that story uh, about a day later. And, and he popped as well. So uh, it was just great. Thank you, Jim and Jerry, for giving me that opportunity to go out there and warm the crowd up for you guys and do my thing. Brought him out on the stage. 
Jim ribbed me a little bit. He asked every he asked if I was getting paid by the word because I guess maybe I went nine minutes or something. I went a minute over or something like that. And Jerry Lawler. Now Jerry said that he likes me better when I am doing my Tony Clifton impression. And I would like to say that I am only Tony Clifton's handler. I don't know what he is talking about. But when he said that from, I guess, a wall backstage, I don't know where I was. Nobody could seem to find me. But I think behind a wall, Tony Clifton uh, called out Jerry Lawler and and told him he was going to haunt him in his dreams. Big reaction from the crowd. And Jim Ross decided to try to tell off Tony and, Tony told him to go F himself. Another another big pop from the crowd there. So nice, fun interaction there. Uh, the whole Q&As are always great, hearing these guys tell some classic stories. Uh, I know what you guys are probably wanting to hear about from Jim and Jerry, and that's Jim signing with AEW and uh, what, his, what he's going to be doing there exactly. So uh, a fan asked him, you know, what is your role explicitly going to be with AEW? And Jim said that he will not just be doing commentary – but he will be working directly with and for Tony Khan. And he described himself, it sounds like a bit like a pro wrestling whisperer, where Tony Khan, if he has any questions about wrestling or is confused about something or needs something explained or needs uh, you know, senior-level advice on what to do, Jim Ross will be working directly with Tony Khan in that regard. And then, of course, you know, with, with I guess, alongside Cody and the Bucks. But there's a little clarity for you on what Jim said his role is going to be with AEW. Uh, and with that, uh, show is over. Uh, Jim and I were actually both uh, – we both got invited to the Busted Open 10th anniversary party, so Jim signed a couple things, sold some merch. We jumped in a, a cab together. We rode over to Busted Open's 10th anniversary party at Habanero Blues. Uh, thank you to Dave LaGreca for the invite for that. Uh, we get ushered into the green room area. And Jim had to go up onto the stage. Uh, I was left down there with a bunch of drink tickets, so I decided to grab myself uh, a Jim Ross Moscow Mule as it was listed on the menu. I'm having a Moscow Mule. I look over. There's my buddy Pat McAfee in the green room. I had just interviewed Pat like twice in the last month. You can go find the interviews in the Winkley here. And I walked over. I was like, Pat, it's Nick Hausman. knew exactly who I was. He was there with his crew, his social media crew, introduced me to everybody. We just started talking about social media the business you know what he's how excited he was for wrestlemania getting to be a part of the pre-show um real cool stuff there jim ross came back from the stage he sits down i walk over to jim and i'm like jim uh do you want me to grab you a drink because he just looked he's starting a little tired this has been a long day for him and he gives me his drink tickets and he's like you know moscow mule i walk over to the bar in the green room and i go hey can i get a jim ross moscow mule and the and the guy looks at me and he goes, we're out of ginger beer. We can't make it. And I'm like, wait, that's Jim Ross over there. This menu says Jim Ross's, or it says good old JR's Moscow Mule. And you're telling me you don't have a Moscow Mule for good old JR? And they're like, nope. I mean, come on, guys. You couldn't keep back a bottle of ginger beer knowing Jim Ross was coming to your party and you had a cocktail named after him? So I had to go back to Jim Ross with a Moscow Mule in my hand, I guess I got one of the last in-house and explained to him he could not get a Moscow Mule. And I offered him mine because I had no idea what to do. And he's like, I do not want your Moscow Mule, Nick. He said the ginger ale would be just as fine. So I had to go back to the bar, get him a drink. Jim and I had another cocktail, and he took off to, to his neck of the woods. The Busted Open Party ends, and Mark Henry is at the Busted Open Party. And I'm a kid from Houston. I used to go to all the shows at the Houston Summit, which is now, I think, the Toyota Center where the Rockets play. Or no, the Houston Summit is now like an evangelical megachurch. I think a church bought it or whatever. So anyway, I used to go to all the shows at the Houston Summit, and 20-plus years ago, I swear, I was at one of Mark Henry's first-ever WWE appearances. It was back when he wore the American like track suit, and he was interviewed by Jerry Lawler about how he had just signed. This is like right after the 96 Olympics. And um, Mick Foley came out as Mankind with Paul Bearer, confronts him, Mark, uh, World's Strongest Slams him, rolls him into a casket, and takes off. And I'd always wanted to, like, meet Mark Henry, because I've never, you know, with with what we do uh, as the wrestling press, we don't always get access to guys that are under WWE contract, and Mark has been his entire career. So I always wanted to meet Mark and tell him that story and just, like, get a picture with him. It's like a full circle moment, especially considering the fact 
I had spent the morning with Jerry Lawler, who was also a part of that segment. And now I'm here with Mark Henry. And so Mark Henry finally finishes up the show when he comes down into the basement and he's, you know, talking to his friends and they're, and I'm, you know, you, you got, especially with what I do, you got to give people space. You don't want to like be aggressive or anything. So I'm sitting there talking to some other folks, watching Mark, waiting for my opening. And I finally saw a spot where like a couple of his friends left and somebody else had walked over, shook his hand. It seemed like an appropriate time. I walked over to him. I shook his hand. I said who I was. I told him briefly the story. He said, thank you, man. I am so glad I could give you that memory. And then his friends, as he was saying that, came back over. And I was like, yeah, man, is there any way I could just you know, snag a photo real quick? And I never do that. If yeah, A word to, word to the wise, if you're planning to get into wrestling or be a part of the business, asking for photos with talent uh, exposes you a bit as somebody who maybe is not uh, a regular part of the business, maybe more of a fan than a part of the business. So very rare that I ever ask for photos with talent. I was, a Mark. I was like, Mark, I'd love to. Mark looks at me and he's like, you know, yeah, I'm a little busy right now. Can we do this later? And I was like, not a problem. Now, at the same time, I had noticed there was this kind of drunk guy over my shoulder. And so I leave. And I didn't see this, but I guess that guy did not did not treat Mark with the same respect that I did. And I think that Mark got a little upset about that. And so Mark left that room and went upstairs. And I was like, oh, blowing my spot. And I'm walking around. I went over. I saw David LaGreca. I talked to Dave for a little bit. Went up. Saw Mark was talking to the friends. And long story short, I couldn't bring myself to it. I couldn't bring myself to walk back over to Mark and ask for the photo. I felt weird about it. So I never got the photo. But I did get to tell him the story. And so as I'm walking around busted open. Yeah, it's not a letdown, by the way. I feel like I was le- I feel like I was building that up to the fact that I was going to get to, it, to get to have my photo with Mark. But it didn't happen. So as I'm walking around this busted open party, uh, who should come and shove me aggressively? But Bill Apter, my good friend, uh, Slick Willie, uh, no, uh, Wonderful Willie. Slick Willie's the other one. No, Wonderful Willie, Bill Apter, uh, came over. Tricky Nicky is what he calls me. Uh, I love Bill. I used to co-host Bill's podcast, of course, back in the day. We are good friends. And uh, big hug. And so Bill and I start talking. He's there doing some work. He, the correspondent he was with was going to go interview Dave LaGreca. So I'm standing outside on the sidewalk. It's, by the way, a gorgeous day in New York. It was like 68 degrees. Bill and I are on the sidewalk, and uh, I was like, hey, Bill, we should, you know, we've got some time here. Let's do a video. I love making videos with Bill. And so a couple years ago, I made a video with Bill in the WrestleMania press booth where it ended with Bill, quote, unquote, punching me in the face and knocking me out in the press booth. It's one of my favorite videos. So I was like, let's make a video. I hand my phone off to just this woman that was there who I think was working the event. Very nice. I'm trying to remember her name, but she's very nice. And... I said, would you mind videotaping this thing with Bill? And I, she's like, no problem. She takes my phone. As she's taking it and setting it up, I grab Bill and tighten. I was like, hey, Bill, let's let's do this. Let's do the spot again. Let's do the thing where you punch me in the face. You know, I didn't want people to know it was coming because we had a lot of people around us. <gasps> a lot of people around us. And um, so Bill's like, oh, yeah. And we talked a little bit. We kind of figured out how we wanted to get there in about five seconds. And we went and shot the video. Now, this video, I think, is pinned to the top of my Twitter profile right now. If you want to go find this, at Wink Rebel. And, uh... Bill, basically, I'm doing a normal interview, and I keep cutting him off. I'm like, Bill, and it ends with me going, Bill, look, you are just so long-winded. You do not know how to tell a story. Uh, you are you are obsessed with these impressions. You need to learn to get to the point of a story. And Bill kind of nods, and he's like, hey, you mind standing here real fast? And then, boom, punches me in the face. This time it hurt, though. He, like, rocked me in the back part of my jaw. So Bill drops me on this New York sidewalk. And I'm on the ground, and I do this line about how he goes, hey, Nick, is wrestling fixed? I go, it's broke like my jaw, which is a callback to his book. End, end video, very proud of the video. As soon as we're done, the other guy who was doing this other interview on the sidewalk, they rap shortly after us, and he goes, oh, my God, that was incredible. And he's talking to the guy who was doing the other interview. He goes, you're doing this interview, and out of nowhere in the background, you see Bill Apter just lay this guy out. He just knocks this guy out on the sidewalk in New York just very randomly. So I guess we uh, we made this other interview very good. I'd love to find what that is. If you see a David LaGreca interview from his uh, Busted Open 10th Anniversary Party, check it out. Let me know if you can find it. I don't know which video that's in, but Bill knocks me out in the background. So I take off from that to the G1 Supercard. Now, I promised you guys a recap of everything I did. I was going to try to do everything up to Sunday. Um, now the G1 Supercard, I obviously have a lot of thoughts on. A lot of things happened. Um, I have made a promise to our good friend Jesse Collings, who is a 
much smarter man about New Japan Pro Wrestling than I. Uh, and uh, Jesse and I are going to be recapping the G1 Supercard. Uh, me giving my thoughts of what it was like to be in the arena. Him giving his thoughts on what it was like to watch at home. Um, so we're going to get real detailed, and that's going to air on Thursday's show. So I'm going to put a pin in that to tease you guys to tune in Thursday if you want my full thoughts on the G1. I will say that the Bret Hart getting attacked thing that happened during the G1 threw a real wrench into the media room, <laughs> into the media rows as we're all sitting there with our laptops out trying to cover the G1, and all of a sudden everyone's like, turn on the network, find the videos, search Twitter, something's going down at the Hall of Fame. We're all trying to figure out what happened with Brett. Very distracted, unfortunately, from what was going on at the G1 at the same time. I mean, you're in the garden, right? You're there. You're in the mecca of wrestling. You're trying to enjoy the show, and now you're worried about Brett Hart. And, of course, like I used to co-host Brett Hart's show, so I'm very worried about Brett. I'm texting people about what is happening. Uh, fortunately, it does seem like Brett is fine. Uh, but, yeah, what a mess that turned into the media bay. And also, uh, all the Enzo and Cass stuff. Uh, WTF, my friends, uh, we didn't know what was going on. That was another thing where I felt so bad for Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr., which I think was the match right after the, the four-way tag, because everybody in the media row, and, and honestly, most of the fans in the audience, everyone was on their phones trying to figure out what had just happened. You know, was this, was this something that Ring of Honor was doing on purpose? Had these guys signed? Was this Enzo being Enzo and, and jumping a barricade? Uh, obviously, now it sounds like, you know, everything was, you know, planned out. Um, I'll share a little bit more insight on you know, Thursday about you know what I think I know about this situation. I am actively trying to vet a couple more details on it. I'll, I will share my I will share my Mueller report of Enzo, the Enzo and Cass incident with Jesse Collins on Thursday's show. But uh, yeah, just a little bit of a mess. Uh, and of course, it was uh, very cool to see my uh, my buddy Matt Taven finally win the ROH World Championship. Of course, I had just co-hosted the uh, Festival of Honor show with him 24 hours prior. So uh, what a what a wacky, wild, surreal experience that was. And uh, lastly here, the last event I'm going to recap uh, before we get to Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday's uh, recaps that I'll, that I'll record tomorrow morning and, uh, and let you guys all in on. Um, Joey Janela's Spring Break Part 2. I went from the G1 Supercard with my buddy Ryan Satin from Pro Wrestling Sheet to uh, the G1 Super uh, – to Joey Janela's Spring Break Part 2, the greatest cluster F. I don't – I think the – Take the podcast away if I say the, the full thing there. Um, I cannot say enough positive things about what GCW uh, did this weekend. I can't say enough positive things about the collective. Uh, I know there are already plans for another collective event next year. But getting there, I mean, the G1 went, I think, a little past midnight. And so we didn't get to Janela's till one a little before 1.30. So I missed the opening bout, which I think was Joey and Marco opened it, or that may have been Janela's part one. But anyway, I missed the opening bout. We got there uh, in the middle of LAX versus the Rock and Roll Express. Since I had been there before and knew where there were good seats up in the balcony, it was jam-packed, but I was able to pull Ryan and me and uh, his buddy uh, James Right into a good spot. We had a great view for 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 Janela's Spring Break Part Two. The you this is another show. Like I said with Bloodsport, you got to go find this if you're a passionate wrestling fan. These Janela shows are incredible. LAX Rock and Roll Express. I mean, Ricky Morton hit a Canadian Destroyer in this match that you know stopped time. This man could have been 28. That's how quickly he moved on this thing. And really, for me, maybe one of the most emotional things the entire weekend was after the match. The promo, because LAX won, the promos that Santana and Ortiz cut about growing up as these Puerto Rican kids from New York looking to break out, watching wrestling, falling in love with the Rock and Roll Express, saying they wanted to be these guys, inspired them to get out of wherever they were, I guess, didn't sound like, you know, it sounded like they wanted dead bigger aspirations. Uh, it inspired them to get to where they are. And LAX is getting teary. Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, they're getting teary. Everybody's hugging. LAX bows down to, to Rock and Roll Express. The whole crowd is going nuts. They are drinking. They are chanting. They are pounding the ring. It You could feel the room. I felt like I was inside of an actual human heart in that moment. Blood pulsing. I mean, just... Just awesome. I can't say enough about how incredible and beautiful 
I thought that that moment was. And, and, and it's crazy to hear me talk about how beautiful a moment is at Joey Janela's spring break, the most over-the-top, ridiculous show of my entire life. Because we go from that into the main event, the greatest cluster F. Now, I had been told that White Eagles Hall had a strict 2 o'clock curfew, and I had heard... And I'd have to ask Brett. We'll get Lauderdale on here to confirm whether it's or not. But it was something crazy. Like, every 10 minutes after that, they had a $500 fine. There was also something like all of the chairs in the audience were zip-tied together, and they were not supposed to use the chairs or break the chairs. Um, not only in this show did pretty much the chairs get destroyed. I mean, they were fighting all over this place. This show went till 4 o'clock in the morning because also, uh, you know, the G1 didn't let out till so late. And the, the greatest cluster F that Joey had – Oh, my God. There was everybody in this thing. It started with Necro Butcher and Nick Gage. I mean, you had Mantar in this thing. You had Fake Sting. You had a lot of indie guys. I was so happy to see my friends Robert Ego Anthony, Matt Nix, uh, El Gringo Loco. Those are Chicago guys that got to shine there. Eric Cannon, another friend, just looked great in that bout. Uh, I thought the Neon Ninja uh, put on a show. Um, just it, it was Joe Gacy was there. Kobe Durst was great in this match. Um, so many awesome things. There was a wrestler in this bout that I only got to see him at this show, but he stole the weekend for a lot of people. His name is No Legs. He's a wrestler who legitimately has no legs. And he does the No Legs 619. And if you don't watch that and are inspired and in awe, uh, you're inhuman and you have no soul. Um, and the show ends, you know, the, the greatest cluster F ends out of nowhere, eight women crash the the show it was Shaz and Mc, Shaz McKenzie uh you had Sue Young was a part of that Alley Cat was a part of it so all these women they crash the ring they start beating everybody up and I'm asking around what's going on here they've been running this uh this story going into the show about how Joey uh Janela was not going to book women for the show and there was a hashtag Joey Janela is a sexist and so the women this was their response to it so they just all these eight women they just beat up Everybody, they throw everybody out of the ring. They beat the referees up. Uh, Chris Dickinson gets beat up. Everybody's out. Then they go in the back and they bring out our good friend Frank the Clown. He's not even officially entered the match. He was just hanging out backstage in his gear. They grab Frank. They drag him into the ring. They Frank's fighting back. They're all beating the piss out of Frank. They stand him up on his feet. All eight of these women, they take turns just kicking Frank in the balls. Huge pop. Everybody's loving it. Sue Young, she gets in the ring. She's got her kendo stick, and she starts to tee up Frank's balls like Tiger Woods at the Shell Houston Open. And she she went to whack him, but I think she just, she cracked his shin so hard, and Frank just ate it, and he fell to the ground. And so Frank's dead. Uh, then... They who they did then they went in the back they bring they dragged out Jimmy Lloyd if you don't know who Jimmy is he's 21 he's basically the the heart and soul of GCW in a lot of ways he's done a good job of losing weight too recently Jimmy's looking good uh, but they bring Jimmy out and Jimmy's a deathmatch guy and they all take turns beating him up then they grab a whole box of light tubes they smash about a dozen light tubes off this dude's skull glasses flying in the balcony glasses flying in the room I had to take my shirt and put it over my nose. Because I'm I'm super self-conscious about the glass uh, dust in the air getting into my lungs and killing me or something like that. And so they beat down poor Jimmy. There's glass everywhere now. And then they dragged out Joey. And they stripped him down to his underwear. And they wrote sexist pig on his back. And they choked him over the eighth rope. They beat up. They beat up Joey, and then it's, I mean, this place, this this place is going just absolutely bonkers. Four o'clock in the morning, these women beating everybody up, bloodied. They got all these, there's this glass everywhere, broken chairs. They're re all three referees at Chris Dickinson are laying in the middle of the ring. I felt so bad. One of these women went over and started kicking glass on them, and I swear to God, I saw Chris Dickinson look at her and say, please don't kick glass in my eyes. I mean, it was just everybody's drinking the wrestlers are drinking and then the women leave these the refs and chris are laid out in the middle of the ring about a minute later the fans start chanting is this over is this over you know and the and they're all chanting this for all we have no idea what's going on the ref the announcer gets on and he goes that's it that's the end of joey janela's spring break three part two no contest no winner that is the end of Joey Janela's Spring Break Part 2, and uh, I, I grabbed a couple buddies. It was so late. All the bars were closed. There was nothing to do. I mean, it was 4 a.m. WrestleMania is the next day. I got to get to the Bullet Club block party in the morning. 
went home, crashed, and I will leave you there. Tomorrow, check back in. Another Winkley. I'm going to finish off my journal of, of what it was like uh, the last half of my WrestleMania 35 weekend. You're going to get my Bullet Club block party thoughts. You're going to hear what it's like to be in the press booth for WrestleMania 35. What is that experience like? I'm going to tell you about that tomorrow on the show. And, of course, we're going to dive into what it was like to be at Raw, uh, watching that crowd turn from a 10-plus to a 10-negative with that main event change. And uh, you're also going to get to hear me recap SmackDown, which I'm going to here tonight, again, possibly by myself. So uh, thank you guys so much. Again, it's been a whirlwind. I hope you guys enjoyed this little uh, self-diary here uh, from me about what I've been going through. I probably even forgot some stuff. There's been a lot of stuff that has happened uh, this week. Uh, but I'll be back tomorrow with even more stories. And with that, let's get to some interviews here from the Media Scrum. One thing over the past few weeks of impact is if a man gets in my way, I've not been afraid to knock them out. So tonight's going to be no different. Same with Joey Ryan. Uh, my main focus has been on Gale, but I'm really excited about this transition that we're making with intergender wrestling, so I think tonight's going to be a cool thing. With the pedigree you have, how much of a higher standard do you hold yourself to? Uh, I, I have very high expectations out of myself. I have a huge family name to live up to, a huge legacy to live up to. I feel the pressure of that every day of my life. Um, but I, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse a little bit. Um, I feel like since I am a third generation wrestler, I do have to hold myself and there are a lot of people that expect certain things out of me. Um, but that's one thing, I'm, I'm an athlete and I'm a top athlete. I train seven days a week. I'm, I'm, I'm mentally and physically prepared for any situation that I may be thrown in and that's what puts me in the upper echelon compared to other knockouts. Oh yeah, I'm. I remember five years ago being in my hotel in New York City, and I had the view of Madison Square Garden, and I had a video where I said, "I'm gonna wrestle there one day," and never did I think that it would actually happen, like realistically. So it still kind of feels uh, a little crazy to me. But just standing in the garden today, um, there's this aura about that building that is just second to none. Um, but one thing that I touched on at the press conference was Taya Valkyrie is the Impact Knockouts champion right now, um, but she wouldn't be if it wasn't because of Gail Kim. Taya's never beaten me in a fair fight one-on-one. Taya's always needed a stipulation or a special guest referee or something that puts the odds in her favor. Um, because I am a top athlete and because I am one of the best, if not the best professional wrestler in Impact Wrestling, um, I feel like they have stacked the odds against me a little bit uh, in Taya's favor. So maybe Madison Square Garden is the place that I take that title back. is they're both different brands but collectively nothing about Tessa Blanchard changes. I'm the same Tessa Blanchard there as I am at, at, at WOW or at Impact. Um, I'm very true to myself no matter where I go. Uh, one thing about WOW that I love is we're taking women who come from all different walks of life. We have girls from jiu-jitsu and MMA backgrounds, we have mothers, we have students, we have people from just everyday life who have found this love for professional wrestling and they're finding this passion that we all share and I live in Long Beach now, I'm training those girls five days a week and when I'm not on the road, obviously, um, but to watch them grow and from scratch is just a really, really cool thing for me. It's something that a lot of people don't expect. Some people think like, oh, they're, they're just actresses or they're just, they're not professional wrestlers, they can't do it. But no, that just shows how little-minded or close-minded people are because they can do it. Uh, to always stay hungry. Um, my stepdad told me one day, uh, probably about five years ago, when I was just starting my training with George South in Charlotte, North Carolina, to go out there and become undeniable. And 
that's something that's always stuck with me over the years, and I feel like I've done that. I've traveled all over the world, all different continents. Um, I've held championship titles in multiple countries. I'm 23 years old, and I was the first ever women's match televised in China. I've been Impact Knockouts champion. I've held titles in Australia, in Mexico, in the UK. It's um, it's a cool thing to kind of like look back and just kind of see what's all brought me to this day. I'm very blessed, very grateful. Ooh, my first match, live or just ever? I have watched him wrestle live. We, uh, I went to a show in Lenore, North Carolina when I was a little girl, and I remember my dad was bleeding in that match, and I was just so scared. I was just crying, and I tried to run up to the ring, and they wouldn't let me. Um, but my favorite match of my dad's is against my stepdad at Starcade 85, his I Quit match. Um, and it's something that I always try to... Everything about that match is what I want my wrestling to be. It's just brutal, realistic, and they're just killing each other. The intensity is second to none. Oh, definitely. I have high respect for Gail because she's one of the best. Without a doubt, she's one of the best. When re women's wrestling was fighting for it to be what it is today, Gail was trying to make it happen before it happened. But that's where that, that, that's where I've kind of been thinking the past few weeks is I think that Gail knows that she was one of the best and that she's at the top of impact. She's a Hall of Famer, she's a legend, and that's why she's trying to stop me because she sees what's coming and she sees what everybody else sees is that I'm gonna surpass her. And so she's been holding me back because I will surpass her. And at Rebellion, she's gonna see that. Last question. Um, I do believe so. They've given me that platform where I can I've gone places where they've told me what I need to do, what I need to say, who I need to be, what moves I need to perform. And at Impact, I, I get to just be me. I have creative control to be me, to do what I want, and to show people, screw you, this is what Tessa Blanchard's about. And if you don't like it, tough shit. Thank you, guys. Really pumped up. I love the late night. I'm a night owl. I never sleep, so this is awesome for me. I haven't been back in New Jersey since ECW, so I'm pretty pumped to be back here, and I'm super pumped about all the matches, specifically the main event dream match, Lucha Brothers versus Rob Van Dam and Sabu, neither of whom I've seen since uh, ECW closed, so it's a pretty fun night for me. Yeah. I, I think, you know, since Scott and I came in with Ed Nordholm uh, a year and three months ago, we talked about reshaping the roster. We talked about a 12 to 18 month plan that the roster was going to be evolving all the time. Much like uh, if you're a general manager with an NFL football team, you're constantly making tweaks to the roster. We've done that. People leave. We bring new people in. Signing Rob is huge. Uh, I got to call a lot of Rob's matches in ECW and was kind of on the ground floor for a lot of it. So having Rob Van Dam here is massive for us because Rob really hasn't lost a step. So you, you talk about the, um, the evolution, the constant evolution of the roster and everything. Was the working relationship with MLW and AAA always part of that plan? Yeah, I mean, I think we're open to working with anybody. And it's uh, the old paradigm of pro wrestling where we don't work with you, we only work with him or her or whatever. Like. That's very dated thinking, and the promotions that are still doing that sort of thing, I think, are going to have challenges as they move forward. I think that when we came on, there was a real negative stigma around the brand, and I think one of the things we wanted to do was change that. I think we were able to do that faster than what we had originally anticipated, and that's a testament to all of the stars in the roster. I mean, we really remade, if you look at the top eight of our roster, we really did remake that top eight, and, and actually 
and the next date as well. So I think maybe the only guy that is really still here from before who was a top, top guy is Eddie Edwards. You talk about the Brian Cages, the Johnny Impacts, Penton Phoenix, uh, Sammy Callahan, uh, and more to come, Rob Van Dam, obviously. How close were you to get uh, Chris and Penny uh, You know, I mean, it's, that's a tough one. You'd have to ask them that. I mean, obviously, I have a relationship that goes back a long time with both. Uh, we made an offer to Chris that was a real good offer. Um, I think, you know, a year, if, if you could go back in time a year, and it was us and WWE and New Japan, I think we would have had both of them. But AEW's come on the scene. I think it's great for the business. So it is what it is. And uh, and I just saw Kenny last week and uh, remain really good friends with both guys. Are you in the mode of trying to get bigger name talent right now? You have a, a pool of young, hungry guys. Are you looking to add more marketing? Um, I think we're always looking to add names. But for me, it, has to, it, it begins and ends with the athleticism. So it's like a guy like Rob, who's a massive name in the business, multiple-time world champion. The thing I love best about Rob is Rob is still Rob Van Dam. So uh, not looking to bring in guys who can't go anymore and are just names. Uh, we're going to continue to go after stud athletes like Rob. Scott was over here before, and he was talking about getting out of the studio, like getting out of Universal Studios. Is there any sort of desire to kind of go on like more of a I mean, we're doing that now. I wouldn't know. I don't know if you're saying you're not. It's not like a territory. You're going to the same towns, but it's like we're doing like you know four four show loops every month now, where you maybe you're gonna have a pay per view, a special, a couple TVs, a house show. That's slowly ramping up as well. Like for instance, you have Philadelphia coming on. Yeah. Is there like eyes on Chicago or St. Louis? I think all those wrestling markets. All those wrestling markets are wide open. Philly's a good example of that. Uh, I think Dean would be on anyone's radar, but uh, I'll reserve judgment whether he's actually leaving till I see it. All right, guys, thank you. I'm good. A little tired. It was. Uh, it's been a long day. It's late for a show, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I guess it wasn't as bad as it was like last year. There was a lot of shows that went on real late last year as well. And it's definitely not the latest I've ever wrestled. Like, I've done shows at 3 a.m. before, so wow. yeah, that was rough. Uh, what, what, is, uh, what does OBE want to accomplish now that you guys are definitively into the long haul? Like, where are your, where are your ambitions right now? Uh, the ambitions are to take over everything. <laughs> everything. Everything. Uh, no, like obviously it is for Sammy to get that uh, that world title. Uh, whether it's uh, Fulton and I, uh, or my brother and I becoming tag team champions, or uh, my brother winning the X Division Championship, we just want everything. I don't know if that's okay with everybody else. I mean, I'm guessing all of you are okay with that. Uh, I don't think so because we're a cohesive unit. We're a family. So no matter what, if if my brother went for the world, Sammy would step in, or vice versa, whatever. We're very versatile uh, as far as you know who we're in the ring with and what we do. Um. It's very surreal. Um, a long time ago, a lot of people said that the three of us would never make it, that we wouldn't do anything in professional wrestling because uh, we're short. Sammy was fat at that point in time. I weighed 135 pounds when I broke in. My brother was smaller than me, so we were always told that we would never make it. So to be able to rub this in people's face and be like, hey, man, like, uh, ah, it's kind of cool. I kind of dig it. I'm really glad that wrestling is based on talent as opposed to size now. Like it's, I think wrestling has really changed for the better. And uh, I feel like the athletic prowess of professional wrestling today is far superior to the 90s and the 80s. Anybody else? 
okay? Thank you guys for having me. Thank you very much to Tessa. Thank you very much to Don. Thank you to Dave Christ. Uh, tomorrow on the show, after I uh, give you my thoughts on the second half of my WrestleMania excursion, we're going to have even more audio from the uh, Impact Wrestling United We Stand media scrum. Tomorrow's will feature Brian Cage, Moose, and Marty the Moth. And I really like the Marty the Moth interview. I think you guys are going to dig that one as well. Uh, I also want to give a, a quick plug out to my friends, the Roosevelts, R-S-V-L-T-S. I'm told they're, they're called the Roosevelts, but they're spell it out with initials. If you go to rsvlts.com, they have a new WWE cult collector series of shirts. Uh, I'm currently wearing their Macho Man one. It looks dope. I was wearing my Ric Flair one yesterday. Uh, they're like patterned. Uh, short sleeve button downs, very high quality, very light, easy to move around in, uh, feel great, look great. I cannot tell you how many compliments I've gotten this week for these shirts. People love them. And if you want one, go over to the site, order one for yourself, use the promo code Wrestling Inc. You will get 20% off your order. Uh, yeah, like I said, tomorrow. Oh, that's right. There's one other thing I'll be talking about tomorrow. It's not just the Bullet Club Block Party. Not just Mania, not just Raw. I was at Jim Ross and Bruce Pritchard's live show last night. I got to spend, I got to spend a little time backstage as well with Conrad and Jim. Uh, so you're going to get that as well on top of all of my SmackDown stuff. So marathon, guys, marathon. I hope you all have enjoyed it. Please go over to Twitter. I'm at Wink Rebel. I hope you guys show me support. I love you all. Thank you for the love you've shown me in return. Thank you to everybody who has come up to me this weekend and said, I really like your podcast. That happened far more times than I was expecting this weekend. And it feels great. You are all appreciated and loved. I love you all. Uh, and with that, thank you for listening. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>